just give an applause to all the people who were baptized today, okay? It's awesome. Yeah, they follow Jesus. They step forward for him. That'd be wonderful. We can have a seat. That'd be great. Uh, love that. In fact, um, the idea is, and they're saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going public for him. Let everyone know uh, I've chosen him. And so if you've never been baptized, you might try that. It's a great spiritual experience as well as doing what Jesus said that we would do. And our next baptism is on November 18th. So you can plan that, and then that would be your time that you could say that you'll be baptized. That would be wonderful. So we begin this series today, new series. It's called Who We Are. And I'm just so excited that we get to jump in and talk about the values that we have as a church. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at our church's core values. And so this is so important because when we say who we are, we're really saying uh, that this is not just who we say we are, but as we're going to read in a minute, this is the promises we're making about who we are. Not what we say we are, but who we are. This is what we're going to do in our actions and what we do with one another. So I'm just going to begin by, there's a card in your program. I'm just going to read this, the statement on the back of the card, and I put it in type so I don't have to wear glasses. So here we go. And so... Uh, at Twin Cities, we realize that no person, church, group, or organization is perfect. In fact, we celebrate that we're a church of imperfect people where it's okay not to be okay. Over time, we have developed a set of core values that guide us in our journey to be a safe place of acceptance where people can belong. We take seriously the call to model what it looks like to be joy-filled people who are being transformed to be like Jesus in the way we approach God, life, and relationships. We want you to know, this is our message to everyone, we want you to know that when you come to Twin Cities that you can count on discovering that these values are more than words we say. They are promises we make to each other and to all who stop by to check us out we invite you to come and be engaged with us. I just loved writing that. I love the idea. I love the promise, the principle, what we're going to talk about. And as I've dug into these uh, values and started you know, looking at them more deeply, I, I realized like, I really can't do this in four weeks. You know, We really need more than this. So this will be like part one. And then we'll come back and there'll be a part two at another time when we engage in these in a different way. But 27 years ago... On October 1st, 1991, Kimberly and I moved here to Nevada County. And when we came and we started meeting with a core group of six families that we met in a living room, we began to start talking about the foundations of who our church would be and what it would be like. During these first months, we met regularly in the homes of these founding families and these families who had banded together to help start Twin Cities Church. So we really wanted to be clear as we were launching out who and what this church would be. The result of those living room meetings that we had as we gathered together was a set of values that would identify who we were as a church. And originally there were nine, nine values. And those became part of the DNA of the church you see today. Over time, though, we felt that nine values was like for a lot. And so if I've never been able to talk about four, how would everybody talk about nine, right? And so we kind of wanted, let's, can we synthesize these nine values 
down, and we synthesize or narrowed them down to four values, and that's what we're going to look at in this series. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program. You're going to need these today to take notes. If you're watching online, you'll be able to engage with some message notes right there as well, and love to have your participation today as we go through this. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at lots of Bible verses today, uh, beginning in Genesis. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn to Genesis, you'll be ready when we get there. So in the tab of your program... Every week you get a program, there's a tab that sticks out on the side, and it says our values. And so one night in our community group, uh, we were talking, and one of the community group members just mentioned, you know, hey, I was at church on Sunday, and I started reading the tab, okay, the values. And I'm like, this is the first time you've read these? (laughs) This person's been there for a long time. And, you know, what she said was, she said, I want to just say this. She said, as I read those four and what they meant, I just had to say to myself, this is who Twin Cities is. And that was such a positive statement. This is who Twin Cities is. So every week we, we, we have those there so you can look and you can remind yourself of who we are and what we're saying we're going to do. But we're going to talk about real today, and this is what it says in the real tab. It says, we are real as we create an atmosphere of acceptance and grace where it's okay to be broken and in process. So today I'm going to talk about the idea of what it's like to be real. Okay, so what we do is we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning. And we read in the book of Genesis that God created the world, and at the end of six days, he gave it his mark of approval every day. He said, this is good. End of six days, this is good. And then he made a man, and he made a woman, and he placed them in this perfect place to have dominion over all he has created, and God said, this is very good. It's awesome what I've created here. And they experienced shalom. Shalom means nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. And human flourishing, they experienced that in perfect harmony with God's self and others. But then they gave in to temptation. They bit into the offer from Satan that they could be like God. What a lie. They were already in the image of God and gave them the lie that they could be like God. But they bit into the forbidden fruit. And I want to read what happened after they bit into the forbidden fruit, Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Folks, what we were reading here is the shattering of shalom, the shattering of shalom and the beginning of shame, and the beginning of shame. Shame entered the world when Adam and Eve sinned against their holy God. And now forever, humankind will see themselves through a different lens, through a lens of shame, through a lens of shame. Before their sin, they didn't know shame. Before their sin, there was no shame. After their sin, they were overwhelmed by shame. And because they were so overwhelmed by shame, what did they do? They went into hiding. They tried to hide, hiding from God, and we're going to see hiding from themselves and hiding from each other. And folks, that's still the case for humanity today. We are still living in the era of shame 
And we are hiding to try to hide the shame that we all have. We live in hiding from God, we live in hiding from self, and we live in hiding from others. It's why we have conflict, it's why we have war, it's why we have envy, it's why we have abuse, discrimination, it's why we have oppression, it's why we hurt each other. Hiding is the primary goal as human beings who are trying to cover up their shame. Hiding. We hide by what we wear, we hide by what we look, we hide by what we do, we hide by what we have, we hide by what we accomplish, we hide by the power we wield over others, we hide by the weaknesses that we embody, we hide by the people we manipulate. Hiding has become the preoccupation of humanity. Hiding. And we live lives of hiding with masks that cover up who we really are. But the pathway to shalom and the pathway to true human flourishing will always be through the gates of real, not the pathway of hiding. So later, when Jesus came, a long time later, Jesus came and he's walking the dusty roads of Palestine. And he's come to bring the kingdom of God to earth. His main opposition when he came were the religious leaders of his day. They were called Pharisees. If you want to know more about Pharisees, go back to the last series that we just finished called Open Table and look at the messages that was specifically in that series that dealt with Pharisees and how they were against Jesus and why they were against him. They were masters of hiding, hiding behind religion. They were masters of covering up. They were masters of manipulation. And the thing they had against Jesus is that Jesus called them on their stuff. He called them on the fact that they were hiding behind the mask of religion that they were wearing, pretending to be better than they actually were. So he told a parable. And so that's the next set of verses there that we'll look at from Luke 18. He says, beginning in verse 9, he's talking to them. He said, to some who were confident, in other words, those who were hiding behind their own righteousness, and look down. By the way, those who hide, they what? They look down on others because that's the way that they can be safe when they look down on others. Look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now I want you to just do me a favor. As I'm reading this, if you have your notes there, it might help. If you have your Bible there, just underline the personal pronouns that the Pharisee uses about himself. He says, God... I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that I, God, am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and he could have gone on and on because he was superior to everyone, or even like this filthy tax collector as he's looking down at him. I, God, I fast twice a week, and I, God, give a tenth of all I get. Give it away. Notice the difference. But the tax collector, and by the way, if you remember the series that we just finished, if you weren't here, I'll just, just say this, that tax collectors are traitors, treasoned, they, they committed treason against the nation of Israel, so they were looked down as the most despicable and the most unworthy, and they could not hide in any way. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. One was full of self, lots of I words, what I've done, how I'm superior because of what I've done, how others are all below me 
because no one could be as good as I am. See, the Pharisee represents all who try to cover up their shame by what they do, by behavior management, by putting on masks in some way to hide. Pharisees come before God full of pride and arrogance, pride and arrogance. The tax collector represents, on the other hand, those who are honest and open and real about their condition. And tax collectors represent those who come before God with humility and honesty, come before God in that way. So there's another incident I want to read for you. It's not on your notes. I wish I would have had space to put it there, but I, you, know, you can see it's full already, right? So I didn't have space. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew 23. They'll be on the screen. Matthew 23. I'll read these verses. Jesus is once again talking to the Pharisees. You ought to read this sometime, the whole of Matthew 23, because I just picked out a couple of the woe to me's that Jesus, woe to you's, I mean, that Jesus gives here as he talks to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, and another one, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Once again, he's calling them hypocrites all the way through. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus is just saying here, as he points out to them, he's calling them on their stuff. He's calling us on our stuff as well. He's saying all those who are more concerned about how they appear on the outside than they are about what is on the inside are hypocrites, are hypocrites. When you went to a play in Jesus' day, they had actors. And actors had a label, and the label of the actors in Jesus' day, they called them hypocrites, because you wouldn't have a bunch of actors. You would have a person going through town, and he would have a play, and so in order to be able to have this play with multiple characters, he would have you know, masks that he would put on, and he would put on masks, and these masks, every time he put on a mask, he became a different person or a different character, so one person could play many different roles. And so Jesus uses the word hypocrite to go after those people who are trying to please God and impress God and impress people by their actions, by the mask they wore, and he called them hypocrites. And folks, the danger of being a hypocrite, the danger of living in hiding, the danger of playing different roles or wearing masks, two things. One, you end up believing that what you are on the outside that that's who you are. And two, you stink. You stink. And you're dead on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. You end up believing that you're better than you are, and you're actually stinking the place up. That's what he's talking about here. And the Bible warns us. It warns us of becoming like that. So John, uh, Mark, just a moment ago, read this verse from 1 Peter 2. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all the malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So that verse, well, I just want to translate what that verse is saying to us today. That verse is saying to you and to me, get real. It's saying get real. See, getting real isn't as complicated or as difficult as we think. I'll just say this, being fake is complicated. Managing the, all the you know, images and all of the masks and all of the profiles that I'm wanting people to think I am, that's complicated. And that's difficult. It's a lot of work to be fake and keep up the facade. 
So with that as a foundation, that we're going to be real, is that's our real value. I want to talk about the goal of being real. And so you want to fill in these blanks here. The goal of being real is this. Our goal is to create a safe place where people can be real with God, self, and others. At Twin Cities Church, our goal is to create a safe place where people can be real with God and others, where people can come out of hiding, where people can take off their masks, where people can move beyond the shame, where people can open up the brokenness of their lives and hearts, and that they can welcome the healing power of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. But we're going to listen to a song now, which talks about the heart of our culture, which talks about the heart of those who are living in hiding, who are covering up the shame and want to get in touch with that heart because they know that that's the only way to healing. Let's listen to this. Set your own heart. 
Right. So that song is a cry of a shriveled, hard heart. It's shriveled and hard because it's been protected by the masks, supposedly, in hiding, the person's in hiding, and we cannot have a fully developed whole heart until we are willing to come out of hiding and to get real. If you want to listen to that song again, it's by the Oh Hellos. You can go find that on YouTube. That'd be a great place if you want to listen to that and just want to just dig into a little more deeply about what they're talking about. It really resonated with me. It tapped into the deepest part of my heart uh, where I really, truly want to know and be known. But yet, if I'm honest, so many times I'm more concerned about what you think than getting to know you. And that makes my heart shrivel up. That leads me to death. I want to open up my heart, but I just tell you today, folks, when I talk about being real, the reason we're not more real is this is not easy. Not easy in any way, shape, or form, but we are committed to this. And I'll just say this. If a church is known for anything, it should be known that this is the safest place on earth where people are allowed to be real, right? That's what a church should be known for. But unfortunately, that's not the case. That's not the case with most people's experience. In fact, there are people all over our community, all over our world, who want to be real, who really do. They want to dig into the stuff that's inside. They want to be able to take down the mask. They're exhausted from hiding. They're exhausted from that life. There are people all over who want to be real, but they don't think that the church really wants them to be real, right? You go to church, you pretend like everything's okay, like everything's wonderful. Like we're better than we actually are. They look toward the church and they say things like, those people are not real. Those people are plastic. They're hypocrites. They're pretending to be something they're not. You ever heard people say that the church is full of hypocrites? It's actually true. It's actually very true. Because we all, I mean, I just kept telling you, when we talk about being real, I'm not saying we're ever going to get this perfect. Because there are going to be times when all of us are going to find ourselves back with a mask again or back in hiding again, and we'll be a hypocrite on that day. So the church is full of hypocrites, hypocrites. The church, I would say, this should be the one place where we can be real. And if we're going to do that, we as a church have to be, create a culture of real. So I want to talk about what that looks like, okay? We're going to make, use real as an acrostic, R-E-A-L, and I'm going to give you the process that I want to talk about of us being able to pull off the mask and to be real with one another. Okay, the first, the letter R is this. If I'm going to move toward being real, I must remove my mask, Want to pluralify that? My masks. Because some of us have different masks depending on where we are and who we're with. So I must remove my mask. I must come out of hiding and I must get real. Paul was writing to the Roman church and he said this, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So I've got to ask God to help me to see myself as he sees me, and I have to be willing to remove the mask. So we basically have to be authentic is what we're talking about. We have to be authentic, and we have to be truthful about the fact that I've been living in hiding, that we've been living in hiding. We've been wearing masks. You see, Paul, Paul who wrote these words, was also one of the Pharisees, okay? 
Now, he was one of the Pharisees. Maybe he wasn't there at the time that Jesus was teaching, but he was one of the Pharisees that Jesus would have been referring to, that Jesus would have been saying, that Paul, if he would have been talking to him personally, Paul, you were a hypocrite. Would have been somebody Jesus considered a hypocrite in his day. And he's saying, we must come clean. And he was an expert at hiding behind the mask of religious activity, which all of us can be experts as well in that same way. He spent his entire life trying to get everything right by doing everything perfectly. Then, this is what I love, then, there's always a then with God. Then he had an encounter with God's radical grace and became one of the greatest church planters and evangelists of all of Christianity. And then later, as he's reflecting, he's writing to the young pastor, Timothy, and he's talking about himself. And he says these words in 1 Timothy 1. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And this is the wonderful one where he pulls off the mask. He says this, of whom I am the worst. This is the guy who started Christianity. I am the worst. Instead of hiding, Paul says, because of grace, I'm now coming out. (laughs) I'm no longer going to hide, and I'm not going to pretend to be perfect, and I'm going to openly share about my identity. So when Paul says this, what he's giving you and me is permission to be honest, permission to come out of hiding, to be real. So just like Paul today, you've heard me say this before. I've read that same verse from Paul, and I said to you before, when Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, and I would say, I, Ron Thompson, I am the chief of sinners here at Twin Cities Church. And I mean that. I don't say that flippantly. I really do mean that. Because when I say that, I want to give myself permission, and I want to give you permission to be real. But I'll add, I'll just add, because with Paul, there was an ad I'll add this. I'm also living proof that God takes those who are the worst of sinners and he can use them to declare to this world that he's the greatest redeemer and restorer. He can use even the greatest sinner, the worst of sinners. See, God used Paul as an example of his grace so that other sinners could know that there's a chance for them. Okay, so that's the first thing. I have to remove the mask. Second is this. If I'm going to be real, I must examine my heart. I must examine my heart. I must ask God to show me the true condition of my heart. And so one of the most dangerous prayers in the Bible is right here from Psalm 139. I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer, you read this, and you've been tempted to pray. One of the most dangerous prayers in the Bible. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's saying to God, God, I want to take off the mask. I want to take off all the ways that I've been hiding, all the ways I've been pretending. And God, I want you to penetrate all of that. And I want you, God, to examine my heart. And I want you to show me. I'm just being honest. God, show me. Show me my heart. Why is this important? The reason this is important is because the Bible says that the heart is deceptive, that I can deceive myself, that I'm not in alignment with the truth. And so if we're real, we'll create a culture in our church where people don't feel the need to lie about their condition because we all agree together with these words, we are creating a safe place where it's okay not to be okay. 
Okay, so we are creating a safe place where it's okay not to be okay. There's a book on my shelf, and I thought about calling you know, something about, like this message today about this, and it's this, talking about the church, no perfect people allowed. Isn't that great? No perfect people allowed. In fact, we're going to have cards you at the door. If you say you're perfect, you don't get to come in. <laughs> uh, it's okay at Twin Cities not to be okay. Okay? We agree to that? It's okay not to be okay here. Okay. It's only when we're honest, folks, only when we're honest can we find the pathway to healing and to wholeness. And so this, I'll just put a plug here. This is why I'm so proud of my friends who go to Celebrate Recovery. So proud of my friends who go to CR. At CR, every week, you don't, you don't go to CR unless you're willing to say, I'm not perfect. And every week when you get to share, you get to talk about the fact that you have imperfection. And you're believing in God's grace to change you and heal you, but you're there because you're, not, you're going to be honest about who you are. Here's a Bible verse. You, you may have never heard this verse before, Psalm 119, 29. It says this, keep me from lying to myself, talking to God. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. You know why? You know, you guys, do you know why the Bible says, keep me from lying to myself? Do you know why the Bible says that? Because we lie to ourselves. It's that simple. It's just we lie to ourselves. We do that. And that's why we need to be reading our Bible every day. Some, some portion, reading or listening. Reading or listening. I just love Bible apps where you can actually plug in and you can take a walk or you can be driving and you can listen to God's word just being spoken to you. And then I love paper too. So I love being able to open it up and read the pages of this book. Because when we read our Bible, and this is why some people never open this book, what I'm going to say next, when we read our Bible, our Bible reads us. Our Bible points out who we are, and we can see ourselves clearly. It illuminates the false you when you read the Bible, the image you've created for yourself, and it shows you the real you, the, God, the, the, the one that God made you to be. And so that's the third idea on being real here is this. If I'm going to move toward being real, I must acknowledge God's view of me. I must acknowledge God's view of me. And I want to give you two things that God says about us. I mean, there's a lot. Um, in fact, uh, there's a song out right now that's uh, by Lauren Daigle. Lots of us love Lauren Daigle songs. Well, the, the title of the song is You Say. You might want to put that on your YouTube and just play it and just listen to that because it's talking about God's view of you. But I'm going to share just a little bit of that. And there's two things God says that we need to acknowledge. The first is this, that God made me beautiful. You need to acknowledge that. And this is going to be a stretch for some of us because we've been told all our lives that we are not beautiful, that we're not acceptable, that we're not lovable. God made me beautiful. He made all of us beautiful. You are beautiful, every one of us. Many of us struggle with that because many of us, we look in the mirror, and honestly, we just don't like what we see, and especially as we age, we like it less and less. (laughs) But some of us, even when we were younger, when we look in the mirror, instead of seeing beautiful, we felt shame. We felt shame. And when we feel shame about how we look, that moves us into mask and hiding. Moves us into mask and hiding. When Adam and Eve, they said they hid because they were naked, 
They were saying, we hid from you, God, because we knew now that we see there is something wrong with us, something wrong with us. And so that's why many of us carry shame. And the shame is from not measuring up by how we look. And so God made um, sure to communicate to us that we're beautiful. And so these verses from Psalm 39 are just, uh, this verse is just one example Psalmist is writing, he says, I praise you, God, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And so what is he saying? I'm wonderful. This is not, you know, some kind of psychobabble. This is someone who truly is understanding that God made me beautiful and is able to say to God, your, your works are marvelous. I'm wonderfully complex. And I love who you made me to be. He made us beautiful. Just remember, he made you beautiful. I'm just going to ask you if you would turn to the person next to you would and just say, you are beautiful. Go ahead and do that with me, okay? If you're not by somebody, say it to the air. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Oh, my. Can I have a, maybe a proposal or two today. You never know. Or we just fixed a fight or a conflict right there. See how easy it can be? Oh, my. Hey, when you look around the specimens in the zoo of humanity that we get to walk around with, you realize that when God says we're beautiful, he's not always maybe referring to the outside, right? Not always referring to that. When God says we're beautiful, though, he's really referring to the inside. He's referring to the heart of who we are. And I would just say, do you understand how marvelous you are? You are amazing. You are amazing. So the next time you want to say to yourself that you're worthless, that you're no good, that you're ugly, you're not living in the reality of what God says about you. You're not living in that reality because he says you are beautiful. That's the first thing we need to acknowledge. The second is this, this sin makes me broken. Sin makes me broken. This is why we say all the time around here that it's okay to be broken here because sinful people can only be broken people. And yet God wants to heal our brokenness. See, we're all broken. We're all created beautifully in the image of God, but we're all also deeply, deeply broken. I got to have a wonderful experience of performing a wedding last night. and this love love getting to be before, especially younger, younger newlyweds, and just the gleam in their eyes, and idealism that's running through their blood and their veins. And, you know, and so when you get married to somebody, you stand before them and you stand before your friends, and inside you're thinking, we're so in love. We're so in love. And we are thinking inside, man, there's nothing you could do to make me love you less. Nothing you could do. <laughs> oh, my. You guys have been married, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and we move to, what planet did you come from? <laughs> You're an alien. Get out of here. Uh, you know, if, just one other, another example. If you think we're not broken... Just have children. Just have children. There's nothing like the tantrum of a two-year-old to remind you of the brokenness of humanity, right? The absolute brokenness. 
Okay, so here's what the Bible says about this whole thing. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death. Underline that. Highlight it. Death. Stinking death. And we have to realize, folks, that the problems we face in our world are caused because of sin. They're caused because of sin, and we are all guilty of sin. But the problem here, as I see it, the problem is, is that for much of history, the church has pointed a finger, not inwardly. Where does the church point the finger, folks? Outwardly. Outwardly. And said, the problems in the world are your fault, sinners. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what the church does. It's because of your sin. And we've been unwilling to admit the sin in our own hearts. And that our sin is also part of the problem of the world. That's why I've been so grieved. I've been so grieved, again, to read about abuses by those in power in church systems, local churches, and all of a sudden, what they've been hiding is revealed. And what has been revealed is so repulsive. It's dead. But it was hidden behind steeples and walls and images of perfection. I've been so grieved by that. The church has just not been willing to admit that we're part of the problem. And we have to do that. We have to be honest and real about our brokenness. And the wages of sin is death. I just don't think there's a better description of brokenness than death, right? Uh, how broken can you... I'm dead. There's a, that's the best description of brokenness. We are broken by our sin and Nothing can make us whole again except for the grace of God. Makes me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that we've all sinned and therefore we all fall short of God's glorious ideal. We all sin. Every one of us. We all sin. All sin. Every one of us. Every one of us. And when we're real, we're willing to admit that we're a sinner and broken. So real is I remove my mask I examine my heart, I acknowledge God's view, and the L is love everyone always. I'm so happy to get back to this theme. Love everyone always. We had a whole series on these, this, these three words. And what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus in culture today to love everyone always? And if I'm going to be real, and if I'm going to be part of a church who values being real offering a safe place of acceptance, then I, as the person who belongs to this organization or this church, I have to be willing to love everyone who comes in these doors always, when they're, even when they're not like me, even when I want to say they have sin that I don't have, even when I say that they're worse than I am in some way, I have to realize that I have sin in my life and there's no sin greater than any other sin. And I'm going to say, I'm going to love as I want to be loved everyone who comes in our doors. Everyone who knows I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to love them. I must love everyone because the Bible says everyone is made in God's image. I must love everyone because no one is more broken than I am. I may have consequences that look like they're more broken, but no one's more broken than I am. I must love everyone 
no matter what place they are at the moment because they cannot be anywhere except where they are at the moment. Cannot. Folks, I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it today because it fits so well. The church is not a hotel for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners. That's what the church is. The church should be the safest place in the world for sinners to go. That's why for centuries, churches were called sanctuaries, sanctuaries, safe places, a place where you can heal and rest and be restored and made whole. We all want that, right? That's what we all want. And that's why this next verse is so key to who we are as a church. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Love everyone always as you want to be loved by everyone always. Loved in that way. You see, one of the reasons people aren't more real, here's one of the reasons, is that they're afraid that if they're real, they won't be loved. That if they're real, they won't be loved. And folks, since we're all in need of grace, we need to ask us to make Twin Cities the kind of place where all sinners feel the freedom to be real here. All. We need to show others the same love that we want to receive ourselves so that they can say, receive the same love that we continue to receive from God. God's love for us that while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross to die for us that we could be made whole and our hearts healed and we could be renewed and we could be restored. We could be redeemed to become like him. We need to give everyone that freedom that they could do that. Peter says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, he's not saying that my love can redeem your sins. He's not saying that at all, that my love can pay for your sins. But what he's saying is this, is that when we love each other in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, that then we feel accepted, that my sins aren't so prominent in front of me, but instead now I have an opportunity to see how God sees me. When we cover people with love, cover them, cover them, cover them with love, cover them with love, then their sins are not their, don't, are not their identity. And we allow them to see love as their identity. I'm not saying we excuse sin. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when we learn to love as Jesus loved, then people will be allowed to be real as Jesus calls us to be real. Isn't this awesome? And this is good stuff. It just, I just love this. And I love that God's called us to remind us of who we are. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? Oh, God, I just come before you now, and I, I want to thank you so much for those who were baptized today and those who uh, went public for you, first of all, and who were willing to take off the mask of somehow believing that they were perfect or that they were fearful of what others might think. And even if they had been uh, going to church for years and years but had never been baptized, they were willing to take that step today just to be in love with you, just to show you they love you. 
And God, I pray for those in the room that have struggled with church, have struggled with Christianity, uh, who have uh, not felt accepted, who have not felt loved, who have not felt welcome, who have not felt wanted, who have not felt like there was a place for them. Oh, Jesus, I just pray that every person who feels like that in this room and watching online who will watch this for months down the road would know that there is a place, there is a place where they can be real and loved. And I pray for every person in the room that's never said yes to Jesus, who still carries the shame of the guilt they have over the sin that's never been redeemed by Jesus, that you could just say to Jesus right now, I want to receive your covering. I want to receive what you did for me on the cross. I want to be forgiven by the Father. I want to be brought into the family. I want to be a friend of God. And I want to live for you for the rest of my days. And God, I pray for those of us who struggle with mask wearing, with hiding. I pray you would give us courage. You give us courage to speak up, to show our brokenness, to be vulnerable, to be authentic. And now I pray for everyone in the room that we would be receivers of that as if it's holy ground. Holy ground. No judgment only empathy. And I just thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.